A Hero's Journey is, by its nature, a podcast filled with spoilers. We recommend reading the book beforehand and then diving into the episode, but proceed at your own risk. Hi, and welcome to A Hero's Journey, a literary podcast. I'm your host and Judge Jack, and I'm here with my terrific talons. This is Alex. And I'm Zach. Each week so what's we look Talon. I just read the book. I don't even know what that is. That's the city. The city is Oh, Talons. that's not how I pronounce it in my head. All right, cool. Talines? I did Talines, yeah, but all right. Here with my terrific Talines, depending on how we pronounce it frequently throughout this podcast. Each week we look at a different book through Joseph Campbell's monomyth. This week, we're discussing Best Served Cold by Joe Abercrombie. It takes place in the world of the First Law series. This is a standalone novel that takes place seven years after the events of that first trilogy. We follow Monza primarily, who is a mercenary general. Uh, she starts the book in the employ of Duke Orso, who is currently engaged in a rather large somewhat civil war trying to take uh, all these separate dukedoms or duchies under his control um and he's using the the great general and military talent of monza who is uniquely a female and also of, of rather humble origins so uh the book starts out with orso being jealous of the uh, kind of fame and and popularity that she's gaining amongst his people and worried that she's going to usurp his throne. He has her brother killed and assumedly her killed as well. And they toss both the bodies off of uh, the high cliffs of his estate. Um, but her brother's broken body uh, cushions her fall and she manages to survive, although extremely, um, extremely injured and, and debilitated. She is found by a, a strange figure who seems to be uh, particularly interested in bones and somewhat of a surgeon, somewhat of a madman who stitches her back together and meanwhile addicts her to a, a drug. And uh, throughout the book, she then goes on a, uh, a quest for revenge to uh, kill all the people who were there as part of the plot to kill her and her brother. Starting off with a quite literal fall from grace, we come to our departure. Yeah, that's a good line. <laughs> you, can add your own, we can, you can add your own credit clip if you want, Zach. <laughs> that's all right. I think I'm going to put that as the end bit. <laughs> anyway, so. So, yeah, our journey for Monza this week is to get revenge for her brother, hence the name of the book, although it's never particularly referenced, uh, Best Served Cold, the anecdote. So our call to adventure is being thrown off a cliff. As, as brutal as that sounds, it's what triggers all of this. I mean, if you really wanted to be a, a little less specific about it, you could say the betrayal that happens. And so this, for our readers who haven't read, although we always suggest that you have, um, the, the scene is set where they're coming to give a report, uh, her brother and herself, about the, uh, the battles they just won for the Duke. Uh, they're in the Duke's palace. The room is currently occupied by the Duke, his two children, uh, a banker from the, the shady Illuminati bank that controls half the world, um, the bodyguard, and 
and the uh, one of the other uh, generals for the mercenaries, as well as the main general for the Duke's armies, are all there. And then they all betray her simultaneously. She gets um, a, a wire around her throat while her brother is stabbed to death. Uh, and eventually uh, she's beaten quite brutally. And then they're all tossed off the mountain face. So that's our big call to adventure. Now, our refusal of the call, she gets uh, several months off camera. Um, you know, like I said, she gets rescued by the by the bone doctor, by the surgeon, of, of, and kind of stitched back together. And then she takes several months off camera after finally uh, getting enough strength to flee from his kind of back alley uh, area. And she does so. And then in her time off camera, it appears she's building a little bit of resolve and planning. And But the, the, pro the problem is is we don't really get to see a any of that and and b we don't know the, the difficulty she has there within so it seems like she's almost forgotten about everything that she's trying to do um until we see her re-enter into the frame of the, of the, of the novel for the mentor we have call shivers who is a northman who uh, featured a small role in the first series uh, he's left the norse He's left the North behind in order to become a good man, or so he thinks. Um, but when he arrives in this new world, he finds that he's, um, A, not quite capable at anything beyond being a, a soldier or a warrior, and that uh, being a hard man is far more difficult than he expected, and that this land is not quite as friendly and bountiful as he thought it would be. Um, she seeks him out after he gets into a brawl, um, with a couple of ruffians in the alley and sees that he knows how to handle himself as a fighter and takes him into her employ. But what's really, I think the reason that he is the mentor at this early stage is that she needs uh, his fighting capability uh, as well as his, I guess, I don't want to say pretty face because he is a Northman, but she's so disfigured right now that she needs someone to be a bit of a front man. Uh, and there's also this idea that he's trying to better himself. And throughout the first significant portion of the book, little bits of his optimistic mindset, as she calls him an optimist quite often, start to rub off on her in, um, in ways that I think are important. Uh, and then for the crossing of the threshold, we have the hiring of the rest of the crew. She goes out of her way uh, to develop this sort of um, Ocean's 13 style crew in order to take down uh, the seven men that she has decided she's going to kill. She gets the uh, the first one out of the way real quick. She They nab the bodyguard, who had been the one who was uh, strangling her, uh, while he's drunk during a festival, and she breaks him to pieces with a smithing hammer. Get that one out of the way real quick, but I don't think that really is what I would consider the belly of the whale. It's not until they set out to kill the banker that I think things become significantly uh, impactful. They're in Westport, which is a city that's unfamiliar in, in many ways and not quite like the rest of, of, of that part of the country. Uh, and they have a lot more obstacles in their way than simply stopping a drunk on his way home. And, uh, and I think and that rounds our, our departure as they set into more of a um, meticulous and planned out process. So starting off with Monza's journey, I think that this is going to be a fun journey. And I think awkwardly, we might get a lot of points, but I 
personally will never consider Monza Hero no matter what we end up with here. Yeah, which has a uh, uh, a precedent set with Glockta. Oh, that's definitely fair. I think it's just all Abercrombie characters. But anyway, let's get on with the uh, with the whole thing here. I think being thrown off the cliff probably a good start to the journey. Um, really, though, it's her brother's death, right? Like that's what is the yeah, driving it's, it's force. It's that whole scene. It's the betrayal, yeah. brother's death, get thrown off the cliff. It's just, I think, I think the story we would find ourselves on could be quite different if brother dies but don't get thrown off cliff, right? Hmm. Be- because it's her injuries that end up setting the stage for a lot of what's required moving forward. Yeah, I think that's fair. But going to the refusal, I cannot agree with you at all. She needs whatever strength she can get in these months off to do the rest of the journey. She literally didn't have the strength to stay on. She was like actively dying and barely got saved by a crazy surgeon and magical person. Um, She needed that time off screen. And it's not like she was sitting there wallowing in self-pity. She was actively working to get herself better so she could escape and go and kill the people on her list. Zach, from the sound of it, is there any point where this woman goes, you know what I'm not going to do? I'm going to go retire to a nice, peaceful, quiet life. And not No, in fact, every it. time somebody tells her she should do that, she tells them to fuck off. Uh-huh. So where's our refusal? Point, Alex. Continue on. <laughs> All right. And uh, the mentor, similar, I cannot even like come remotely cl- close to saying Shivers is a mentor. If anything, she corrupts Shivers from being a, quote, good person like he wants into being a killing machine for her and just generally someone who hates the world. He's optimistic at the start of this, but under Monza's tutelage, he becomes angry at the world. I was... I'm not saying it, it works out super well for Shivers. Shivers kind of gets shafted in the in the grand scheme of things here. Uh, I just saw it more as a, this is some good things for her, and it's things that she needs in the immediate. My other option, I think his name is like Shalon or something. He was a connection of hers who used to be a mercenary. He got out of the game, and now he's in information. And he's the one that sets her up with the poisoner and gets her all the information of where all the people she's trying to kill are and kind of helps her on that aspect, but he doesn't get a lot of face time. He may have one interaction where he agrees to help her and then everything he's doing for her is off screen mentioned that he's the one doing it, but completely off screen. So I wanted somebody who was a bit more um, in the met in the thick of it. Yeah, I understand why you pick Shivers. Like, I, I get it, but I disagree still. Um, and that the person you mentioned, who I, I don't remember his name either, but he was originally from the Thousand Swords with uh, Koska. He, he would have been, I think, a better choice, but still, I don't think it's enough because he's not doing a ton for her. He does help her, like, a little bit, tells her where the bodyguard is but after that he he just kind of like 
leaves the story. Doesn't really do much until he gets killed. No, I, like I said, he does a lot. I really think he does. It's just all off screen. A, he gives her friendly. Step one. Step two, he tells her what bank uh, the banker is working at. He sets up her interview or her first meeting with the poisoner. He puts her in touch with. Um, oh, he the, does do all the, that, doesn't he? he? He puts her in touch with Vitya. Yeah. Uh, the the assassin from the second book in the first series. Like every time she's going to like a new place to do like the next to kill the next person, she mentions that there's like something that he told her about that thing about that place or who to look out for or whatever. Okay. Yeah, I'd actually accept that as it, it's it's closer, I think, than what you've laid out with Shivers. I get that it's weird to have somebody off screen, but right. I guess he's not giving her the missions, so it's not quite like the classic M style mentor where they're sitting behind the desk giving you everything and then the third uh you know, third and final bit they finally show up in person just to die saving you. So John is his name and he's He's an X thousand swords now turned information and drug den gambling house guy. You know, I think I think you do make a pretty strong case for Sajam. I don't know if he fits all of the classic details of it, but he's got sort of the giving you all of the tools you need to complete your mission. I think he might just be like one in person coming to her rescue away from being a, a really strong mentor. Uh, then going on to the crossing, you know, I really don't have a good argument against hiring the rest of the crew. I think it does have an element of danger because all of the crew members that she gets are dangerous. From One actively uh, paralyzes her while deciding what to do with her. Yeah, yeah. From the poisoner to even friendly, who's definitely loyal to her just because Sajam told him to be, but also still crazy and dangerous so i think that this is fine but for the belly here just mass murder <laughs> insane amounts of murder for for killing this banker that's okay um, so i, I want to cut you off just a little bit here it's not the actual killing of the banker it's the it's the heisty bits pre mass murder it's the okay we're traveling to a new place we're setting up our base of operations we're making a plan of how to do it all and I kind of, and we'll talk about it here in a bit, the killing of everybody past the, the the bodyguard, I think, falls into a trial. Like ever, all the other of the of the numbers two through six of the people who need killed are the trials in the story, the banker included. But it's the hey, this is how we kind of work as a group, team dynamics, everybody's roles in the in the getting ready to kill the banker. Well, in that case, I'm. I see this even less as a belly because she could have stopped at any point there. She just, you know, paid Morvir, the, the poisoner, sent him home, gone off to live wherever she wanted with shivers. Uh, she didn't even have uh, Vitari at this point, the the red-haired torturer. Friendly could have just gone back to Sujam. She could have easily stopped at this point then. I don't think there's actually a point in this story where sh are we talking about could stop? Cause this is the, the problem I always have when we have these discussions and I don't know how well we've, how consistent we've been. I, I don't actually keep track, but when do they become aware that she's alive? After uh, she kills 
the, the seventh. Yeah, the the eldest prince, I think, is the first time they're aware that she's alive. That's the first. Then that's probably where she probably is a point of no return because once they know that she's alive, she's not gonna right. They're not gonna let her go free. They'd find her. Okay, then that's way further in. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean that's yeah, but that's a significant. I, I, I think I it is awkward with the belly, but I think right. There's nothing that puts her over the edge to being fully committed until. Zach, I see where you were going with that like commitment though, but my thing is the commitment that she has doesn't change from when she's first thrown off the cliff to until they find out that she's alive, till Ducorso finds out she's alive. It, it's the same level of commitment through this valley that you're saying. I agree. I think the commitment level is the same, but the adversity level isn't the same, right? With with the very first killing of the bodyguard, it's shivers and friendly like essentially mug the guy while he's drunk they bring him back they tie him to an anvil and, and she beats the crap out of him and it and that's it's not particularly hard and then no, they, but but that that honestly it's probably still a better belly because that's the first right the the first act of revenge tends to fit the scope right she's once she's killed one yes she could still walk away but she's definitely taking the action that says this is my path I'm not veering. I know that she's not particularly reluctant, but I think this might be either an intentional move by Abercrombie's part or perhaps just a, a failing, but it sounds like the first kill, which it, in this cl classic revenge style narrative would definitely be our belly of the whale kind of lacks some of the elements we'd expect. Maybe that's just because Monza's already a seasoned killer. That's going to bring us to a close on our departure with only the call to adventure and crossing of the threshold being there, which I will say are are two of the bigger steps in the hero's journey. But it is not looking great for our girl Monza, Zach. Stabbing our way into our initiation, we come to our Road of Trials. Yeah, for the Road of Trials in this story we've got a fairly well laid out architecture. She has sworn to kill seven people who were in the room when her brother was murdered. Uh, she has already taken care of the first one and now she has six people left. The Duke, who will be number seven, uh, I think in a perfect world, is the one who is the culmination of everything. So we've, we've saved uh, the revenge against him in particular for our ultimate boon. That would be the culmination. But the remaining five, numbers two through six, I think, are trials. And what's really cool about how Abercrombie wrote this is that not only are these people just people, but they're all so diverse in their personality and abilities and location that each one does feel like a unique trial in its own right. The banker is extremely cautious and is in a highly fortified um, banking institution, essentially like a Fort Knox sort of situation. And then we move on to the general who has his own army, um, uh, but is extremely, uh, but has his own flaws as concerned to art and vanity. And then we move into her, her old uh, mercenary general who has a different kind of army and his own failings in a different part of the world where he's not laying siege to something. And each one, as we go through, requires not only Monza to think uh, critically about the scenario that she finds herself and come up with a good game plan, but also use the 
crew that she's assembled in different ways uh, in different useful ways. And so I think they are increasing her, her abilities as well as her reputation as the story progresses to create the person who by the end of it is, is capable of, um, I guess without being too spoilery of, of capable of, of wearing the crown that she does by the end. Um, our higher power in this story, I think, falls to Koska, who is the um, the mercenary we met in book two during the siege um, from the first trilogy, uh, who we find out is the one who originally brought her into the Thousand Swords, not only allowing her and her brother to sign up, but um, kind of becoming their father figure for a greater portion of their um, late uh, young adulthood, teaching them how to read, teaching them lessons about being a good mercenary. And he is now back in uh, her life after she kicked him out of the Thousand Swords and he turned to a drunken fool. And uh, she comes across him once again during one of their um, one of their killings. I think it's the third one where they're trying to kill Prince Arrow. And uh, so she seeks him out and brings him back into the fold. But he, I say more so than... It's hard to rank the, the party members of this crew, but Corso more, Koska more than most, um, definitely pulls his weight. He saves her on multiple occasions, uh, both in her past as well as in the present. Um, and if he's not directly saving her life, he's providing other invaluable services. That uh, and I think I think the thing that elevates him slightly above the rest of the crew members as being a higher power is that this is really her last remaining tie to her past life. Um, she's been so ostracized from everything that she was and, and who she was. But Koska is that reminder of, well, I knew you before all this uh, and not just as the person that everybody thinks you are, as the person you actually are. Moving to our temptress, we have one that takes place throughout the entire book and it is drugs. Uh, when she is being knit back together by the surgeon at the beginning of the, of the story, he essentially gets her addicted to, um, you can't tell if it's supposed to be a, a, an allegory for uh, cocaine or heroin. for heroin. Is there heroin? Okay, heroin. He essentially gets her hooked on opium to deal with the pain that her body is always undergoing. And she falls prey to this temptation repeatedly throughout the story. Like, I don't think she ever stops being addicted to drugs. For our tournament with the creator, we have the conversation with Duke Orso um, before killing him, in which... Um, you know, the reason that, and the Duke even says so at the beginning of the story, the reason that he is killing her after praising everything that she's done for him is that he knows that if she becomes too popular, then he may lose his throne to her. Uh, and even though she has no sights set on that herself, it was, a, it was a worry in his mind. And she felt betrayed by that amongst many other reasons. Um, the conversation with the Duke is pretty much him saying, I was right. You're, you, you've proclaimed yourself to be the Duke of the city and now you're here to kill me. And so I was right at the beginning to fear you. And in this expose, uh, and, and she, he has directly created who Monza is at this point. If he hadn't betrayed her, she very well may have continued in the way that she was. What's really cool is that in this conversations that they have together, uh, both the Duke and her have a realization that her brother, Vienna, 
was the one who was fermenting dissent and trying to get her installed as the Duchess, even though she was completely unaware of it um, because he knew of her popularity and he had his own motives and desires. And so they were both sort of right. She had nothing to do with it, but he was trying to be, he was in the process of being usurped and they could have avoided a lot of this if the blame had been placed solely on the brother and not on her. It also helps kind of balance this, what was first an idyllic view of Vienna that we have as the readers told solely from the perspective of Monza that is slowly getting corrupted as the story continues. Um, there's also another smaller apotheosis uh, during this scene when Schecht shows up, uh, the, the flesh eater, who was, we thought, the entirety of the story an assassin who was hunting her down. But we find out that as a flesh eater, he can shapeshift and he was uh, the surgeon at the beginning of the story who... Uh, healed her and he had his own motives for uh, for putting her uh, into power uh, because he wants a, a country that is free of both the prophet and of Baez's influence. So two, one big one for her and then one little cool one for the readers. Uh, and then we get our ultimate boon where she kills the Duke uh, without much fanfare actually uh, and, and completes the uh, avenging of her brother. So starting off on the road of trials here, I think I'm going to have a real hard time arguing against it because road and literal trials laid out for us. Each of these killings is set in a different city. So we have the cool um, separation breaks where they go from city to city. She goes on literally a circular road from Talons around all of Stria back to Talons. But the one thing that we're kind of lacking here is uh, what does she learn on this road, Zach? Just how to kill more people more efficiently? Is Or is there something else? Murder is its own lesson and reward. It is both the journey and the destination. <laughs> Come on, Alex. <laughs> Not quite. I think there's two small... I wouldn't say they're as impactful as some of the, the progressions that happen to our heroes where they, they start from you know high school nerd to demigod, but I think we get to uh, we get to see two things that she starts to be to realize a lot of things about herself and a lot of things about her her now dead brother and in each of these trials we learn a little bit more about her brother both from her perspective and from the perspective of others that I think while not undermining her journey certainly make us as the readers question was Vienna worth avenging at all and uh I I think that she starts to have those same kind of doubts in her head but she has put herself on this trajectory that there's essentially no turning back from and and has to continue so I think there's a growth of of understanding in herself but too late to to turn around okay so uh, kind of like a growth into the evilness that she accidentally started on a path on. I, I yeah. like that. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're not wrong. It's it's a, it's a, and, and we see that by the end when, um, well, I'll talk about it when we get there. All right. Uh, so going on to Koska, our higher power. Uh, is he really a higher power first? He's a belligerent drunk and when he sobers up and becomes actually more powerful than Monza he 
actively stands against her, leading the Thousand Swords to fight in the uh, fight the Osprians, where she's helping them. But you uh, know that that he doesn't really know. Yeah. He says he's going to just so he can fall everybody into a lull everybody into a false sense of security, and then he he plays both sides, gets rich, and kills the people he wants to kill, which is not Monza. Yeah, but is he a higher power though? I mean, yeah. There's this, if we want to talk about a specific scene in which he provides her the literal gift of life, he chose not to attack uh, from the flank. And therefore saving her life. Yeah, just because he's not directly on her side doesn't mean that he doesn't give something that is aid. And he's and I wanted to I want to point out there's never an actual scenario in which he actively goes against her interests. I'm willing to accept him as a higher power. All right. And he's a lot more charming in this book than he was in book two. And he was fairly charming in book two. Oh yeah. I have no argument at all against our temptress here. Drugs are definitely a temptress for Monza. She almost dies because of them several times. She could have put off the whole whole dukedom search even from the beginning because she's addicted to uh, husk, as they call it, after her healing. So it, I think it's definitely a whole thing here of a temptress. It's everywhere. I just super wish that she'd, uh, you know, not gotten to just ignore her temptation and then win anyway. Feels like, uh, feels like maybe drugs, there should have been drugs some are an amusing, uh, Drugs are an amusing vice for the rich and powerful, Jeff. So going on to our Tilma with the Creator, I don't want this to be a thing because I don't want Monza to be called a hero in any way but this really fits it well guys it help help me nope it fits <laughs> revenge so, the person, the person who made her who she is i the only other argument is that her brother is also very responsible for who she is and would be a better creator but he's dead yeah and this is like the last they have the realization about her her brother creating her by plots against the duke in this so uh even if we wanted to say ben would have been a better creator kind of in the scene as much as he can be yeah on to our apotheosis i don't i don't know if this is an important realization for her journey um realizing that her brother was gonna overthrow the duke kind of as she's overthrowing the duke i i don't know if that's really that much of a apotheosis or that that relevant to the journey at this point because the whole journey is about killing killing the duke and it doesn't matter why the duke wanted to kill her anymore because she's already sworn out to vengeance like we like we've been talking about i you don't think that it's an important revelation that the duke was actually justified in having her brother killed and maybe maybe she if things had gone slightly differently she wouldn't be on a murderous rampage but what does it have to do with the journey now? Uh, a chance for closure? I don't know. What it does do, Alex, is it it somewhat invalidates her reasoning for the journey 
but it's it, it is too late to change the journey. But it it makes her probably in her own head go. Does it make her hesitate or panic at all? Does she? No, what's, I mean, what's she her kills reaction? the guy. What's her she reaction? Straight up, she's straight up like she doesn't want to accept it, and then she has like she thinks about the other situations that her brother had contrived. Like one of her nicknames as a character, kind of like um. Yeah, the, the butcher, the butcher of whatever. Yeah, the butcher of whatever. But then we find out in a flashback that she left that city under her brother's care and like went and was doing something else. And then when she came back, her brother was high on the drugs, the, the hash or whatever it is, and uh, and had also like had the city raped and pillaged. And so that ends up she ends up taking like the fall for it. And they end up spreading the false rumor that like it was done specifically to to kowtow the other people into giving up as opposed to making it seem like a mistake. And so it seems and, and then that's just one of the instances in which we see her taking the failings for her brother. Like it, it, there's and actually a really good one, too. But at the very with all of the shocking revelations that we get in the book, is she just completely nonplussed? Yeah, she's just kind of accepted that. Okay, as... uh, I, I think I'm gonna have to give it to Alex. These are these are clearly apotheoses for us, but apparently. Oh, that's not what I thought you were asking. Yeah. I mean, she is nonplussed, but that's because all of them up to this point have been things that she was aware of, whereas this one is is an actual revelation, right? She... Yeah, but she, does she give a shit when it? It sounds like she just. I, I, it sounds like Alex might be right that. This is meant to be like a shocking revelation that should have had her panic and like the Duke almost get to stab her and then she gets her guard up in time. But instead she just goes, you're wrong. He didn't see it, but I made a stabbing motion. Uh, what about second smaller apotheosis? You're going to have to, Alex, you have an argument against that being an apotheosis? Again, does it matter for like what? Zach, does it matter? Yeah, because the whole book, this is the guy who's supposed to be hunting her down and killing her, and it's it not oh, only he's does that... not only is he not the assassin that we thought he was, where his whole job was to to hunt her down and kill her. He actually shows up and saves her from all of the Duke's. Does guards. she know that there is somebody hunting her throughout the book? Um, let me think. Yes, because they get attacked by assassins in I don't remember the name of the city. Where the clock chimes, uh, I think it's the glass one, the one that's supposed to be Venice. Does the Duke think that Shanked is going to save him, and then Shanked goes now? Nah. Yes, the Duke. The Duke goes, "Great, you're here. Kill her." Okay, and he goes, and he goes "Nah, that works." Why didn't oh. you lead with that one? Because the brother that one's one, way better. That, that one, that one's a yeah, but the brother one's a revelation for us. This is a revelation that definitely affects the quest of, aha! My right hand, my my my, my ace on my is sleeve here. is here to stop you. Oh, hey, person I saved at the bottom of a cliff. And not only does he not kill her, he kills like the eight guards that are in the room that she was hiding from their crossbolt fire. Oh, so he even helps her. Yeah. Sorry, but he Alex, doesn't kill the Duke for it. He lets her kill the Duke. That that sounds pretty quest rele quest relevant. Yeah, probably. God, All right. Um. I mean, she did the thing. She did the thing. Yay! Good for her. Very heroic. All Yay. all agreed. 
that is going to close us out on our initiation with a perfect score. Uh, clearly proving that Monza is just the most heroic of Joe Abercrombie characters. She did some really affecting murder, effective murdering while getting hooked on drugs to score that extra bonus point. Discovering that the real friends we made along the way was the, the throne, throne we were taking. <laughs> we come to our return. Yeah, so for the refusal of the turn, we have... I think that Monza, Duchess Monza, does not uh, really want to accept the truth about her brother. Um, but then uh, it, it, she doesn't really have a choice, and it, it doesn't seem to to get played out, at least to the reader, very strongly. Um, we do have a, a magic flight in which uh, she time jumps into the future, where she's at least been ruler for a little bit and things have stabilized. Um our rescue from without happens kind of mid uh, apotheosis ultimate boon, which is the saving by Schecht. Um, then we have our crossing of the return threshold, where she is now the ruler of the very cliff that she was thrown off of at the beginning of the book. That's now like her palace and her dwelling now that she's taken it from uh, Dutch Orso. So I think that's kind of cool. Uh, if I was her, I don't think I would there but maybe it's just like the best thing so um she's now the master of two worlds she's the master uh in a in a a grander political sense because she has now become the duchess uh but she's also still uh like a a highly capable militaristic minded soldier slash general and it that's proven um somewhat immediately where she goes out and makes this huge speech to the populace about how the years of blood are over and everyone cheers her and she's viewed like as this savior, right? And then she immediately sends uh, the armies and the Thousand Sons, sorry, not the Thousand Sons, the Thousand Swords to go siege the one place that's left that says, no, fuck you, we don't want the one place left that says, no, we don't want anything to do with you. So she both undermines her point, but makes it in such a grand gesture that everybody loves her anyway. So proving that she's still shrewd and militaristic minded, but has come around to figure out how to to be politically minded as well. And then her freedom to live, which I think is both really cool because it's not something we've seen yet. And maybe that's why Abercrombie was writing in this way. But she, um, the which is essentially the, the war between Baez and the prophet. So something that's cool, she gets to now kind of stay. She's the only person maybe perhaps in all of the, of the first law world that has an actual freedom to live. Might as well get her eventually, I assure you. Let's start at the beginning, why don't we? It's a fantastic place to start. I uh, agree that this refusal to return is super weak. Not wanting to accept the truth about her brother, not stopping her from taking the dukedom, and not definitely not stopping her from having killed the duke, who's already dead. Going to the magic flight, Time jump, I guess. Fine, sure. Rescue from without being saved by Shecht. I mean, didn't didn't we already have this as our apotheosis that Shecht was the healer and he saved her? Yeah, but that doesn't also preclude him from being the rescue from without. He definitely. But why doesn't it? It should. Should it? I mean, we ha- we have a second rescue, in that, and it's. It's again, it's a little bit off there, but if we're even looking for extra oomph to it, there's another scene in which so she's going to crown 
the 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 patient duke, the Duke of Delay, is going to be crowned this king of Stria. The crown is poisoned by the master poisoner, and all the dukes are placing the crown on his head at the same time, and they all die except for her because she was wearing her gloves that she's worn throughout the story to hide her disfigurement. And so we've got, you know, her own injuries, AKA the things done to her at the beginning of the story are rescuing her from her death at the very end of the story. I didn't like that one as much as, as Shek's direct. And if we, again, if we want to just move it to a different Shek involvement, we could use Shek's, Hey, I'm not going to let this other flesh eater intimidate you and into being a, a subject of bias that that fits much more with my thoughts if saving her from bias definitely so a new a new a new threat appears and, and he's there to rescue her from that yeah i feel like they both work because traditionally the rescue from without also happens with the ultimate boon and he saves her there so double points not actually oh man oh god all right Crossing the return threshold. Um, we are literally back in Talons, but she doesn't have her brother with her. <laughs> That's what she would have wanted. In, in her ideal world, coming back to her normal is coming back to her brother. They were uh, very close, and I don't think she can have a normal world without him. Boo, try again. Find something, damn it. Find something. Well, like that is that is actually one thing that I will say. Uh not having her brother there, and then her wisdom sharing that she's doing is continuing to be like the Duke and continuing to fight everybody. No, so. no, she doesn't fight everybody. In fact, it specifically states that most everywhere is is cool with her. It's just there's that one holdover. I don't remember the name of it. I think it starts with the... I don't remember. I can't even guess. But most everywhere is fine. And she's bringing... If we want to look about a direct impact that she's having on the people, it specifically states that the the economy of Talons is booming because everywhere else has been destabilized so much that all the merchants are coming to Talons. So not only is like... The, is she proclamating peace and that the, the war is over? She's right, but it's also a huge economical boom that's happening in her capital city. So there's her wisdom sharing, her gifts to her people. But she's leading them back on the war, Zach. Barely. She's leading them to one siege of one person as opposed to the Duke who was like fighting against eight different people. Specifically eight different people. But all of the other eight different people are dead now so she's just leading them on to the remaining war it didn't really seem like that at all it seemed like everyone was cheering her in the streets do they cheer her in the streets they do in fact they a, a, a raucous applause Ruck, what how's this how do you say that word a raucous 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 why is that right a raucous uh, applause happened right after her her big speech which is funny because about six chapters earlier she made fun of the other duke for his grand speeches yeah, I'm kind of sold. Anything against the freedom to live, Alex? No, I think Zach is right. This is the best freedom to live. And I, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. argument in this one. Uh, do I have to give the crossing of the turn threshold, or can I not give him that? 
I think you have to. Yeah, it's a new normal. And she's in charge. Glockta. And Monza for the win. New Glockta. <laughs> Uh, and that is going to pull us to a close on our return. Once again, proving that Dro Abercrombie, despite writing the least heroic characters in the world, can certainly weave in classic hero's journey points into it. Uh, in our return, the only thing we're missing is that refusal. That's going to put Monza's final score at 13 out of 17. And both Alex and myself would like it noted that that does not mean she is a hero. As has become a hilarious recurring theme with Joe Abercrombie novels, my life has been very hectic this week, and so I did not get a chance to read it. Uh, it sounds like a great story and a fun spin in the first law world, doing a Kill Bill-style female revenge novel. I don't understand how that led us to get 13 out of 17 points, but God damn it, Joe Abercrombie, you have done it again. <laughs> I really like this book. As much as I think Monza is a bad person and not a hero, she's an excellent character. I very much enjoy all of her thoughts, getting to know uh, what she's thinking. And I really like Shivers as well. I think he's an interesting character going from trying to be a good person all the way down to the end where he's betraying everybody and just uh all around hating the world so uh, it's really fun to see that the characters go different directions like this yeah i very much enjoyed this book as well um i think joe abercrombie is quickly becoming one of my favorite authors i'd say definitely top 10 maybe top five i'd read one of his stories a long time ago but i hadn't and really enjoyed it, it wasn't in the first law uh, world, but I hadn't really associated it with um, with the author at the time. I think his writing style is extremely gritty, and and it and it doesn't lend itself to a very positive view of the human condition or whatever philosophical thing. It, I think there's a very much people are inherently not necessarily evil, but complicated, and I think that makes for really interesting stories. Uh, I think he writes and the stories turn out to be everything that I wanted game of Thrones from George R. R. Martin to be, but just the next level. And I felt like the characters in game of Thrones when compared to the characters in the first law world come off as very one dimensional. So good job, Joe. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoy hero's journey as much as we enjoyed doing it, don't forget to leave us a review wherever you get your podcast from and hit that subscribe button to get notifications on new content. We're not currently on YouTube, so I don't believe you have to ring any bells. We also have a Patreon if you want to donate to the show. We promise to put every cent that you give us right back into making this podcast that we love to do and that you love to listen to. I'm telling you how you feel. As always, I've been your host and judge, Jack. This is Alex. And I'm Zach. And join us next week when we dive back into the world of the Skolomance with The Last Graduate by Naomi Novik. Yay! Oh, thank you. All right. So if we declare Monza a hero, we need to really take a, a good look at this uh, because Monza might be the worst character in this already terrible world. Uh, Shivers rubs off on her. Is that what you're saying, Zach? Well, a little <laughs> bit later. Shivers gets yeah. off on her.
Oh, we'll be here all night, folks. Going exclusively for the lowbrow humor here. <laughs>